0: You're listening to the audio from Tuesday Night Class at CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this teaching helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right. Well, welcome to class tonight. Welcome, everyone. And good on you to come out on this cold, rainy day. Um, It's a good time for us to to get together and to talk about really fun things. Uh, Tonight's going to be fun. I think it'll be if not fun, it'll be interesting. And if not interesting, it'll be frustrating. It'll be one of those three things. It'll and my Toronto Maple Leafs are winning 5 nothing. That's why I'm in such a good mood too. Because uh, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> okay, so uh, let me begin with... Um, actually, I'm going to begin with a question and then we'll pray. Okay? So here's a question for you and so it's for you guys too so you put your answers on the uh, on the chat but here's a question if jesus was to offer you just one simple instruction about how you should live the christian life today what might he say if jesus was to give you one instruction to you personally As to how you need to live the Christian life today, in this current situation, um, what might he say? And then how would you respond? That's a big question. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yes. Uh, That's a good one. Sure, yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, yeah. Love your neighbor. As much as it depends upon you, live at peace with one another. That might be a good one too. Let's see. Let mercy prevail. Unclutter your mind. Walk in the spirit, love God. The gospel, love others around me. Trust in my sovereignty. are good ones fear not not. oh I like that yeah now the challenge is is that those are great words the follow up the follow up is something that you need to consider on your own that I need to consider on my own is then how will I respond to this challenge huh well, one of the things we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to be talking about union, mysticism, and Christian spirituality. A couple passages just to start things off. Psalm 139, verse 13, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. For God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation, my fortress, I shall never be shaken. THROUGH THESE HE he HAS GIVEN US HIS VERY GREAT AND PRECIOUS PROMISES, SO THAT THROUGH THEM YOU MAY PARTICIPATE IN THE DIVINE NATURE, HAVING ESCAPED THE CORRUPTION IN THE WORLD CAUSED BY EVIL DESIRES. SO I'M GOING TO PRAY A PRAYER BY CATHERINE OF Siena FROM THE 14TH CENTURY. SO LET US PRAY TOGETHER. O FIERY ABYSS OF CHARITY, O MAD LOVER, AND YOU HAVE NEED OF YOUR CREATURE? IT SEEMS SO TO ME, FOR YOU ACT AS IF YOU COULD NOT LIVE WITHOUT HER, IN SPITE OF THE FACT THAT YOU ARE LIFE ITSELF. AND EVERYTHING HAS LIFE FROM YOU, AND NOTHING CAN HAVE LIFE WITHOUT YOU. WHY THEN ARE YOU SO MAD? BECAUSE YOU HAVE FALLEN IN LOVE WITH WHAT YOU HAVE MADE. You are pleased and delighted over her within yourself, as if you were drunk with desire for her salvation. She runs away from you, and you go looking for her. She strays, and you draw closer to her. You clothed yourself in our humanity, and nearer than that you could not have come. Amen. Now that's a different kind of prayer. So we're going to talk about this. But let me ask, right from the get-go, when I use the word mysticism, what are some words that come to mind? Danger, is danger? <laughs> Very good. New, age. New age, danger, what else? Galliano, right? Galliano Island, yeah. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Tonight, my hope is that during this class we can discover the depth of spirituality that can be found when we turn our attention to the mystics. Because the mystics can teach us about the human predicament, our heart longing our heartache for god and our desire for union with god and so we take this class to deepen under our understanding of our faith but also to deepen our relationship with god this this class if you walk away from this class with just some really interesting ideas about the christian tradition that had been taught long ago And if that's all you get out of it, then that's a bit of a problem because this has to be formative. I'm hoping it's going to be formative. We don't just study Christian spirituality through the ages in order to gain head knowledge. Our desire is to be changed. Now, I have to say, when it comes to the mystics and Christian mysticism, um, this tradition, I don't struggle with in the sense well, let me explain. I'm drawn to it, but I'm also hesitant. Um, the mystics, you read them, they are hard to relate to. Uh, they, they, they seem highly experiential, like that prayer that I just said of Catherine of Siena. I mean, it's a very emotional prayer. And as I'll just speak for myself. I was going to say as a man, because not all every man, but for myself. That's not, like, I'm not a very emotional person. (laughs) Um, I've been accused of being a robot at times when it comes to emotions. (laughs) Uh, And so the the highly uh, emotive language of, of the mystics is kind of strange for me. Okay? And yet, and yet I'm drawn to it. Now, why am I drawn to it? Again, if, uh, if you're wanting to spread out, you can take chairs, spread out wherever you want. That's not an issue. Uh, why am I drawn to mysticism? I'm drawn to mysticism because I think in the Christian life there's got to be more. I'm drawn to go deeper and deeper into the life that Jesus has for me. And I never want to be in a place where I'm satisfied and I'm complacent. Or that my Christian faith is just head knowledge. I want to know Jesus' love and I want to love him more and more. That's my desire. And the mystics can help us in this. And so even though part of me is, yeah, I'm 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 better on safer ground. Hey, I'll just teach you church history. That's easy. That's my wheelhouse. I'm fine. There is a part of me that deeply desires to go deeper in my walk with Jesus, to really know how, how much He loves me. And so I'm drawn to this. So I have this dual, dual side. Does anybody else relate to that? Yeah? Yeah, yeah, Laura. Yeah. So I think the mystics can help. I like what uh, Gerald Sitzer says he says some of the wisest and deepest writers in the history of the church have been mystics who reach summits of spiritual insight and experience that I have only been able to glimpse only from afar. It could be that by studying their writings I will be able to follow in their footsteps. And so I want to lay out two stories of two people who have very interesting experiences. I would say they have mystical experiences, though neither person is considered a mystic in in the Christian tradition. The first fellow is a guy named Thomas Aquinas, a guy named Thomas, only probably the greatest theologian in the history of the church, some guy named Thomas Aquinas, uh, lived in the 13th century. Now growing up, Thomas was called he was given a nickname by his classmates and the nickname that he was given him was called he was called the dumb ox the dumb ox and the reason why he was called a dumb ox is because he was a big lumbering kind of goofy guy and kind of in his in his in his girth and and in his his, the way he uh, carried himself he was quiet he was slow he's a bit on the heavy side but he's one of the most influential thinkers of the church he joined the dominicans much to his uh, father's chagrin <laughs> i love the story because his father actually told thomas's brothers to go and kidnap him because thomas he may join this monastic order and we don't want him doing that so the brothers actually kidnapped him and it was thomas's sister that broke him free <laughs> so anyhow he joins the dominicans is this, this uh, monastic order And in his lifetime, he writes a number of things, but he writes these two major treatises. One is called Summa Contra Gentiles, which is about how the Christian faith intersected with the pagan world. And then he wrote this book called the uh, Summa Theologico. And in this, he had the modest task of simply trying to come up with a theology of all of reality. And so the story of Thomas is he would sit in his cell, he'd sit in his, cell, and he'd be surrounded by people, right? So Braden, you'd be, you'd be sitting there, you'd be this young guy, and you'd, you, know, you had your, your quill, you're ready to write, right? And Preston, you were there. And all these young guys would be around him. And so Thomas would be like, okay, about metaphysics, write this down, da, 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 da. Okay, now about the Trinity, write this down, da, da, da. And he would write a multiple books and essays at the same time, talking to, to different people around him. The guy was brilliant. Now... His life has changed right before he dies. On December 6, 1273, Thomas goes to Mass. He goes to church, right? As was his custom. But then something happens to him. He has this deep experience of God. So deep that afterwards he writes these words. He says, says, well actually afterwards he says, I can't write anything more. And one of his buddies asked him, they said, Father, how can you stop such a great work? I mean, you're, you're Thomas Aquinas, right? And Thomas replied, I can write no more. All that I have hitherto written seems like nothing but straw. Compared to what I have seen and what has been revealed to me. And he died shortly afterwards. The other guy is a fellow named Blaise Pascal. Now, Blaise Pascal lived in the 17th century, in the 1600s, and Pascal was brilliant. He was a French mathematician, physicist, inventor, uh, philosopher, writer, Catholic theologian, and his famous book is a collection of thoughts, and it's called Pensées. And um, in that, he, uh, he lays out with a brilliant, logical mind a case for Christianity. So he's kind of a very logical thinker. And if he died and that's all we had, we'd say, huh, he's quite a mathematical, linear, rational thinker. Except, when he died, they found something inside his shirt, sewn into his breast. Pocket. And they pulled it out and they read it. And what it was is uh, he wrote down his experience that he had on, in 1654 at about 10:30 at night. And this experience went from 10:30 at night to about just after midnight to 12:30. And so what does he write? He writes these words. God of Abraham, God of Isaac. No, he begins with the word fire. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers or of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. He is only found by ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I've departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I left him, I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet, complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director, eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. Wow. Well, okay, so something's happened. Now, both these guys are not considered mystics, but they both have profound experiences of God. And their experiences are mystical. Now, the word mystical, don't get thrown off by that. It comes from the word that we use for mystery, like there's a mystery to this experience. That's all it means, right? Their experience with God was transcended, led them them into some kind of deeper experience of God. So this idea of union with god connection with god is pretty important in the area of mysticism now what happens is during probably around the 13th century and 14th century there becomes there's a shift that takes place in the in the story of the church especially in the west up until that point in the high middle ages you have a lot of people um, thinking about giving proofs of god and, and 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 different characteristics of god and so you have the rise of what is called scholasticism which is highly intellectual highly logical but then by around the 13th century and the 14th century you get a bit of pushback where people say i don't want to just know about god i want to know god i want to know him deeper and so this begins to occur and so people want to have this deeper deeper relationship with god so this is what emerges but what i want to do is just take a moment just take a moment to lay out where does this where does christian mysticism come from so look at some of its roots well some of its roots go all the way back to greek thinkers a guy named plato now we don't need to know a whole lot about plato um, partially because i don't know a whole lot no i, I stay plato in university but um Uh, and then as a kid I played with Plato oh that's a different one sorry but one of the things that Plato teaches us is that um, God is God or the eternal is eternal and that every part of or the the essential part of us our soul is longing to be reunited with God it's this return home this reconnection with the one who truly matters right so this is the influence of, of, of Plato um, but he influences some early Christian thinkers who start using the same language, but, but, but more, more biblical um, language. But one of the guys who's quite influential here is, um, is um, a guy named Dionysus the Areopagite. <laughs> the name that rolls off the tongue, right? Uh, he, he lived, uh, he's considered the father of Christian mysticism in the Middle Ages. But he lived back in the 5th century, so the 400s. Now his name is Dionysus the Areopagite. The Areopagite is the one from Mars Hill. So that's what the word means. And so when people looked at him a lot of people when they read his stuff they thought ha this guy lived at the time of paul he goes way back to the time of the apostles but he didn't he lived in the fifth century and so later on he's not called dionysus the areopagite he's called pseudo dionysus meaning you think you're dionysus but you're not anyhow doesn't matter it's kind of a fun story but for dionysus he believed and he's quite influential he believed that god created the world yes And that in the created world, if you look carefully, you'll see signs of God. Right? And I get that. You see a sunrise, your hearts are lifted towards a sense of the reality of God. I get that. Today, it might have been a little more difficult to see the the presence of God with all this rain. And in Manitoba, it's quite hard, too. Um, But here, you have this... Sorry, I have influence. I always make fun of people from Manitoba. I shouldn't... Um, but he says, God created everything, and that we can commune with God if we look carefully. And so, you know, Dionysus has a bit of the idea that we looked at last week, in that, that there are some things in creation that can serve as windows to point us to the reality of God. Okay, you with me so far? There's not going to be a test on Dionysus, but I just want to give you a little bit of the background. The Christian life, then, for Dionysus, is to be a Christian, is to be a life of returning home it is a life of ascension it is a life of being reunited with god okay we ascend towards god kind of like a ladder so this language a ladder shows up quite a bit and so it's a glorious journey and so the created order the world around us is not the end but it is a means by which we can return to god we can ascend to God and to know and be known by the lover of our souls. Now, for Dionysus, God is greater than words can describe. Now, this is interesting. For Dionysus, he would say, we're dealing with God. God, the creator of all things. He is so beyond words. He is so beyond words. When we try to describe God, our language will falter because we're trying to describe the indescribable, right? In fact, the closer we get to God, we'll actually go silent because we're dealing with the great mystery, God. Okay? So to know God, we have to let go of all earthly language, and we experience what he would call the cloud of unknowing and actually that's a a famous book by an anonymous writer later on that picks up on this language is the cloud of unknowing saying this is god god is just beyond us and the closer we get to god he's just he's so much greater and so much more so much marvelous more marvelous than we can ever imagine and so when we get the closer we get to god we we run out of words we run out of ways of even describing him because this is god and we arrive at the top of the ladder language disappears and we and in and, and, and in fact and this is a big tradition in the church so I'm, I'm teaching you new stuff okay but this actually has a big tradition in different branches of the church they say you get to the point where you're dealing with god and god is so beyond like for you to say God is good. Okay, he is good. But when we say God is good, and we really think about what that means, good doesn't cover it. Good is not good enough. And so how do you describe God? This is interesting. The only way you can describe God is by using negative language. And the word is, 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 is apophatic language. And that means you say, God is not good. And by that, you, mean, you don't mean that God is bad. But you just say, good isn't, doesn't cut it. God is sovereign. No, but sovereignty doesn't, doesn't cut it. So he's not sovereign. <clears throat> he's not good. He's so much more than that. Okay? Now, this has a strong tradition. And so this is a highly elevated view of God. All right, time out. <clears throat> not just a cough. Give me some thoughts. Give me some feedback. What do you think, Laura? <laughs> you look pensive, so. Yeah, by what standard do you choose what, what is too small and what is too big? Design, is too yeah, yeah, that, that's a good question, yeah. So that would be a question that would come out of this. Yeah. Um, yeah, how, w- 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 where's the point of, of, uh, of God's greatness? And, 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 yeah. Let's see what you guys, you guys, okay, we still on an amen. Uh, any other thoughts? Oh, very good. It's very confusing. Can you imagine sharing the gospel? God is not good. And by that, I mean, he's so much beyond. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Or not. <laughs> well done. Yeah, great. Sometimes like, oh, well, scripture seems to use a lot of positive language about God, right? Okay, very good, very good. Yeah, and I would say the, um, the challenge I have with that, see, I get it. I get what Dionysus is saying, and there's part of me that is drawn to this, but we have the word of God, which is God's revelation to us, and we have language that is used to that that God reveals about himself, why are we jettisoning that to say, oh, he's even beyond that? Well, no, God, we we can't just override what God has revealed in his word. So I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So, this pseudo-Dionysus, is there anything that we can get from him? I think there is. Here's a few things. One, he believes that everybody has this sensus divinitatis, so this idea that there must be something more to life than this and i think every i believe every human being at different stages of their life have a sense that god is i you know i I've explained this uh before but i think deep down there's this there's this there's this longing for home that no amount of Netflix binging, no amount of anything here on earth could ever meet that need. So I think there is this longing and, and and Dionysus talks about that. G.K. Chesterton says this, he says, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. That deep, deep intimacy that you think a prostitute's gonna meet is not gonna meet. Only God can meet that deepest desire that you have, right? So I think we can learn from him here. Secondly, he teaches us that our picture of God is too small. And I like this because when we... So he's saying, you know, God is just beyond good. He's, he's so beyond us. Sometimes as Christians, it's like, you know, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, God's gym. You know, and as Jesus, you know, with a cross on his back is in doing push-ups because, you know, he's my homeboy. He's, he's... So I'm not making up. I've seen teachers saying Jesus is my homeboy and I've seen god's gym t-shirts and i've seen blood uh, so <laughs> there's ways that we can domesticate and make jesus into my buddy and he is not a tame lion so there's something that dionysus i think recaptures here thirdly he teaches us that we need to slow down we need to be in silence and to pray and to contemplate with wonder who God is and the other thing he teaches us is that the Christian life is a journey it is a pilgrimage it is a pilgrimage and the end of our life the 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 destination that we reach is God God is the end point Jesus is the telos he's the destiny of our lives So our destiny is not to be a really good Christian husband. It'd be good to be a good Christian husband, but that's not the goal of life. The goal of life is Jesus. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end, he bookends everything. And so we don't go through life trying to be a really good Christian, because you could be a really good Christian and miss Jesus. That's the weird part because you're so focused on this is what a Christian ought to look like this is how I ought to live and you never pay attention to Jesus so I think there's something there okay so what is this ladder we can talk about this ladder what is this ladder of or ladder of perfection or journey to God what does it look like well typically it has three stages three stages here's the first stage it's the stage of purgation stage of purgation what does it mean when i use the word purgation well it means to be purged to be cleansed um, to be removed of anything that deters us from communing with god the word purgation in the dictionary means the evacuation of the bowels (laughs) brought about by taking laxatives Uh, this might be a secondary definition Uh, But it is this idea of doing whatever you can to get rid of whatever is messing you up. And the person who can help us with this is John uh, Climacus. Climacus. He will help us flush away our sins. (laughs) Now, who is this fellow? He is uh, an abbot, leader of a monastery, at Mount Sinai, one of the oldest continually inhabited monasteries in the world. John, um, he lived in the um, the 6th century, in the early 7th century. Story goes as he moves away, we talked about this with the Desert Fathers and that. He moves, he wants to live alone, he lives as a hermit for 40 years. And while he's living as a hermit, he writes the Ladder of Divine Ascent, where he talks about purging yourself. And you purge yourself through, through, through self-denial, through practices of asceticism, where asceticism is where you deny the body for the, to release the spirit, right, Brad? We got that from the. Call. You remember that, right? Yeah, Brad's in my his church history class at PLBC, so I'm testing him as we're going on. <laughs> you didn't know I was going to put you on the spot, right? <laughs> so this is the midterm. I'll tell you how you do it at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to. Um, yeah. so he talks about taking on the dangers of vainglory what is vainglory does anybody know what is vainglory there's an old term what does it mean to be vainglorious to self-righteousness. there's some connection to self-righteousness yeah pride there's a connection to pride it's certainly pride is that uh, is uh, behind it the prides behind them all all the vices vainglory is is like pride except you can you could be proud you could be proud about something that you actually aren't but you want people to think you are so' it's, it's you can put on airs to say oh I'm very good at you know at speaking French and uh, bien sûr and you, but in, in in reality you don't know anything about french but you've arranged things so people look up to you to think that you do so it's all about pretense it's all about showing off but there's actually nothing on the inside so it's different from pride pride you could actually be very good at something and you're quite cocky vainglorious is like i'm actually not very good at it but i want you to think i am and so he pushes back against that um and so this ladder that he talks about, he, he offers a series of, um, of um, kind of a series of practices. And uh, in the ladder, he also talks about repentance and, and do-overs. So when we think about this ladder, don't just think of, oh, I have to get better and better and better. John um, Climacus, he knew that we would mess up. And when we mess up we need to repent Uh, but it's pretty hardcore so he what does he say at one point he says mortification putting to death of the appetite night long toil staying up all night praying a ration of water a short measure of bread the bitter cup of dishonor this will show you the narrow way he says if you want to live if you want to go up that ladder this is how you do it but hey if you mess up, that's okay. If you mess up. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying, Lori. I, Oh, Sorry, I'm looking over here. There is a lot of doing, but we're going to talk about grace as well. And John did talk about grace. He says, even if a person tumbles into every pit, even if they are trapped by every snare, even if they suffer every disease, still after they, their return to health, they become light to all. They prove to be doctors, beacons, pilots, They teach us the characteristic of every malady, and out of our own experience, they can rescue those who are about to lapse. And so basically, he's saying, you know, there is people who fall into a pit, people who mess up, you repent, and through this experience, it will influence others. But here's the thing. If all we had in the mystical life, in in, in Christian mysticism, is purgation, meaning Al, you've got lots of sins and this, these, these are the things that you need to do to get rid of the sins. That's not enough. Because a lot of people can do that. A lot of people can modify their behavior. A lot of people can, can maybe change some sinful habits. But he says, that's not enough. One, any, you know, a lot of people can do that just through your own effort. Two, you may have a whole bunch of sins that you don't even realize. I mean, Merle knows, but you may not know, right? <laughs> You may have some issues that are unconscious some sins that are unconscious and so it's not just about purgation there's a second step um, and that's illumination the first step is negative is getting rid of purging from your sins identifying and confessing and you know working through your sins the second stage is coming to know who god is and to place your entire life in his presence to live in the light of his presence, to bask in his glory. Now, the guy who can help us with this is a fellow named John Bonaventure. Um, he was a contemporary of Aquinas, and he was born in Italy, um, joins the Franciscans, becomes a, a cardinal, and his work in mysticism is actually quite well regarded. And so, One of his most famous works is called The Soul's Journey. And he talks about the soul's journey through different stages. So what are the stages? So how do you grow? So we talked about purgation, get rid of your sins. Second stage is illumination. And that is to place your life before God and allow God to look look at you. Right? And so what does this look like? Well, there's three parts. One, look outside yourself. So look around, look at creation as windows to see how glorious God is. Um, and he says, anybody who looks around and looks at creation and does not see God is a fool. He says, how could you not see God? And so walking the long beaches in Tofino... You know, we are, we see God's creation, and our hearts need to be to, to to cry out. Oh, the heavens! Everything, all creation, cries out to you, God. Secondly, you not just look outside yourself, look inside yourself. So, what does that mean? It's not the Walt Disney. Just look inside yourself, and you know that kind of thing. Like, look deep inside yourself. What what, what, what he's saying is, look at your heart and look at the longing that you have in your heart. Do you feel dissatisfied? Do you feel restless? Do you feel angry at times, frustrated? Look inside your heart. What is going on there? Could it be that there's this desire, this desire to connect with God? And what he says is that when we're looking inside ourselves and we see our own restlessness what we need to do is we need to recognize um we we need to to go from there to, to say that restlessness can only be satisfied when we turn our attention to jesus so that's our third part look above us look to the goodness of god look at god's glory When we fix our eyes on Jesus and the cross, our hearts are lifted to God. And I love this description that he gives. Listen to this description. He says, God is mocked so that you may be honored. God is flogged so that you may be consoled, crucified that you may be set free. The spotless lamb is slaughtered so that you may be fed. The lance that brought forth water and blood from his side so that you may drink. O Lord Jesus Christ, who for my sake did not spare yourself, wound my heart through your wounds. inebriate my spirit with your blood so that wherever I may go, I may continually have you before my eyes as a crucified and may be able to find nothing else but you. And as we turn to Jesus and we fix our eyes on Jesus, to quote the great poet Bruce Springsteen, we are blinded by the light. And we come across a super wonderful union of God in the, in, in the person of Jesus Christ. How does that sound? All right. Now the goal in all this is union with God. So let's talk about what that means. let's talk for a moment what do we mean by union with god let me tell you what i don't mean when the mystics talk about union with god they're not talking about some eastern understanding of union with god now an eastern understanding of union with god is that you get to the point where you're so close to god that who you are disappears and you become one with the great the great oneness of the universe that's an eastern way we're like drops of water into an ocean and we just disappear that's not what these guys are saying what they're saying is union is union not of being absorbed into creation in, into the into God but it is union of relationship it is union of relationship which involves trust love and personality and personal experiences And so our relationship implies intimacy between persons. And who you are, you are still distinct. And the best of the Christian mystics argue for this kind of union. That we have union with Jesus. So, one of my favorite guys who could help us in this is Bernard of Clairvaux. Anybody heard of Bernard of Clairvaux? No? No? Oh, good old Bernard of Clairvaux. Okay, now Bernard, he's probably one of the most important thinkers of the 12th century. He was a master evangelist. He could share the gospel. Now, this is how good of an evangelist he was. When he came to town, if you were a mother and you had kids, you would get those kids off the street. Because Bernard would share the gospel, and you'd have them joining a monastery before you knew it. So he would, So seriously, parents would pull kids off the street. Bernard's in town. No. The other story is these knights. They're all gathered together, and uh, they're about to drink some wine. And they see Bernard coming by, and they say, "Hey, you're a, you know you're a pastor type person. Why don't you bless our wine for us?" And Bernard said, oh, I'll pray for your wine. I'll pray that if you have a you know, great experience. And so he prayed, and they had the wine. They're like, This wine is awesome. And they all joined the monastery. <laughs> so the story goes. He becomes a major leader, and he sets up headquarters in a place called Clairvaux. And he knew the Bible inside and out. Now, like many people in the Middle Ages, He was really interested in one particular book in the Bible. In fact, in the Middle Ages, there are more commentaries about this book in the Bible than any other book in the Bible. And which book is that? Let me hear from you. Did I put it in the notes? Oh, man, I meant that to be a surprise. Would you have guessed that? Nobody would have guessed that one. Oh, okay. Ah, kicking myself. Yes, it was the Song of Songs, <coughs> Song of Solomon. More commentaries are written on the Song of Solomon than any other book in the Bible. In the Middle Ages, there's no commentaries on Romans. I don't think it's interesting. Yeah. Now, the book of the Song of Songs. Why? Actually, let me ask you. Why do you think people would be so interested in the Song of Songs? Essential. Okay, keep going. It's about relationship. Yeah. About love, yeah. And it was usually seen in allegorical terms, that it was the love between Jesus and his church. Rather than between a man and a woman, right? But it's but it's highly emotional, romantic language of God's relationship with his people. Um very very popular. In fact, Bernard of Clairvaux did a sermon series on Song of Songs and he preached 86 sermons. And then he died and he didn't get and he didn't get through the book. So that's that's quite a long, you know, that's a long sermon series, eh? So one of the themes, not surprising in Bernard of Clairvaux, is the theme of love. God's love for us, our love for God. Despite our unworthiness, wonder of wonders, God loves us deeply and passionately. And God's love is such that he he, he creates he creates a possibility for us to love him in return. But our love is imperfect and needs to grow. And the issue that we have in loving God is what gets in the way? Our self. Our self always trips us up. John Newton used to call him Mr. Self. (laughs) But when we start growing, when we start turning more and more to God, we begin to realize that God truly loves us. Now, I remember what Dallas Willard once said. Dallas Willard said, the challenge of the Christian life is for you and I to believe what we say we believe. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, my guess you would say, does does Jesus love you? Yes, he does. And yet, do we really believe that? Now, many of you would say, yeah, I I know, he does love me, and I've, I've experienced it. But my guess is some of you tonight is like yeah i know that in my head but i sure haven't felt it for a while so yeah from here we get to know that god really does love us and it leads us to the third stage where we learn to love god not for what he can bring to us but we begin to love god for his own sake It's not like, okay, I love you, God, because I need money, or I love you, God, because I need this uh, trip to go well. I'm going to love you simply because you are worth loving. Okay? But that leads to another stage, which is a fourth stage, and that is where not only do we love God for his own sake, but then we begin to love ourselves properly for God's sake we realize you know what God created us he God rescued us God saved us and so why do I hate myself it's interesting it's I don't think many of us saw that coming and so our goal is to worship and to enjoy and to love Jesus That's what Bernarda Clairvaux offers us. This is a picture of union with God, where we we look at ourself and ourself gets in the way. Then we realize God loves us, and we begin to love God for who he is, not for what he can give us, and then we can begin to love ourselves because we realize that the God of the universe truly does love us. Okay. Now another person who's really good to help us with this, but I'm not going to tell you better. And that is Julian of Norwich. And the reason why I'm not gonna tell you about her is because you all know about her. Well, at least those of you who took my class last summer during COVID, (laughs) we did that series called Companions Along the Way and Sharon led us through Julian of Norwich, the life of Julian of Norwich. And if you're curious about her and she's a very interesting person, um, you can go online and have a listen. (laughs) But Julian in Norwich, um, uh, she's a person who could teach us a lot about union with God. Not to put you on the spot, Sharon, but does anything stand out? Um mm. what stands out to Julian is the idea of all is thus. And when you ask the first question tonight, what I think about saying is fear not just all. Yeah. Yeah, just know that all will be well. Yeah, I love you that much. Very good. Good. All shall be well. That was Julian Norwich's uh, key line. And because, because at the end of the day, we're loved by the one who really matters. If God loves us, and my boss doesn't like me, I'm okay. Because the one who really matters loves me. Now, one guy who's quite interesting is St. John of the Cross. How many of you have heard of St. John of the Cross? I see that hand. I see a scratch. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Anybody else? I know, uh, Denisa, you've heard of John of the Cross, and some, some of us. Now, John of the Cross is somebody we need to get familiar with. Now, here's the thing. He's not always an easy read. If he's hard to read then I want to encourage you to read Thomas Green, who is basically a follower, he knows um, John of the Cross quite well, and Thomas Green is super readable. Um, He just passed away a little while ago, Uh, but uh, he's written a book on on some of the things that John of the Cross talks about. Now, let's talk about John just for a second, because I think he's super interesting for where we're at in our lives. Uh, John, he joins this order, uh, he's friends with uh, Teresa of Avila, we'll talk about her in a second. Um, and Teresa and John—they're trying to bring reform. This is before the Reformation. You know, well, just actually the same time as the Reformation. Interesting enough, uh, they're trying to bring reform to this movement, uh, to to this order. And so both Teresa and John says, "You know what? As a monastic order, you guys have lost your way. You're so busy." you know, brewing beer and doing all these things, and you forget about Jesus. So we need to get back to prayer. Well, the other monks heard this, and they're like, ah, let's beat him up. And that's what they did. They beat the tar out of John. And they threw him into a cell, and they say, okay, tough guy, you, your big ideas, see how you do down in this cell. And they keep him there, and he's stuck there for quite a long time. And the cell is six feet by ten feet. He's beaten three times a week by these monks, mean monks. In his cell, there's only one tiny window, way up at the top. Yet in that dark, cold desolation, his love and faith were like fire and light in fact by the end he had nothing but god and god brought john the greatest joys in the tiny cell and john is the one who introduces us to the very important concept of the dark night of the soul Have you ever heard of that the dark night of the... okay now what do you think what is the dark night of the soul have you guys heard of that dark night of the soul drinking from a diary oh yes thanks denisa Uh, um, Water from a dry well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Suffering. Dark night of the soul. It is a time of suffering, but there's more. What is the dark night of the soul? Sometimes we throw that term around. feeling Feeling lost. And where's God in all this? not very present that that is really important It's this feeling of utter abandonment right and so a dark night of the soul and i think this is really important i think every christian will experience dark nights of the soul every one of us, and that's why it drives me crazy when you hear Christians saying, how's your Christian life? Well, it's awesome, Jesus is great, it's just victory to victory to victory, everything is a glory, hallelujah, Woo! and you're like, I know, I know you've got stuff going on in your life, and why are you pretending? Oh, no, Jesus is good, yeah, he's good every day, every day, hallelujah, well, no, there's times where you where God feels very far away. Has anybody else prayed and felt like your prayers were ricocheting off the ceiling? Or is it just me? Anybody else feel that? Anybody else feel that God is far, far away? I think this is part of the Christian life. Listen, like C.S. Lewis. This is C. Saint C.S. Lewis, right? Um, what does he say? Well, when his wife died, When joy davidman died this is what he says when his wife died meanwhile where's god this is one of the most disquieting symptoms when when you are happy so happy that you have no sense of needing him so happy that you're tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption If you remember yourself and you turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that silence, you may well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. It might be an empty house. Was it ever inhabited? It seemed so once. And that seeming was as strong as this. What can this mean? Why is he so present, a commander in our times of prosperity, and so very absent, a help in times of trouble? This is right after his wife died, he wrote this. He says, you know, I cry out to God and all I get is silence and the sound of double locking, bolting, heaven's sealed off for me. And there's times where our prayer life is dry and some of you may be in that place right now. And this is where John can help us, John of the cross. because we may feel abandoned but for john of the cross he says the soul's dark night can be a blessing in disguise and he says sometimes our deepest union with god can happen through the dark night of the soul now i had a friend of mine say this to me once because i was feeling i've had many many a dark night of the soul in my christian life And I had a friend of mine once, and I said, I was complaining to him. I said, God, just seems so far away, so far away. And I'm so frustrated. And I remember him saying to me, he says, well, could it be that that deep desire that you have from God or for God, that deep desire to see him and to be, feel his presence, to feel his love, that that is an invitation from God himself? For you to go much deeper than you've ever been before i've never thought about it that way and so that desire for god when he seems absent is a gift from god to draw us deeper into himself john writes this he says he strips her faculties affections and feelings both spiritual and sensual both outward and inward leaving the understanding dark the will dry the memory empty and the affections in deepest affliction Bitterness and constraint, taking from the soul the pleasure and experience of spiritual blessings that it had aforetime, time, so that there may be introduced into it and united with it a spiritual form of the Spirit, which is a union of love. The journey that takes place at night is difficult, but it could lead us into a deeper place with God than we ever thought possible. And that's why these guys, that's why these mystics i think they have something to help us with now i get it there's a lot of you know sometimes it comes across as works righteousness and to our protestant sensibility some of it seems a little but there's this deep desire to know god in a very deep way i think there's something here my one of my favorite i've I've quoted her so many times but uh good old teresa babla she's she is a spunky spunky woman um she was a mentor to uh, John of the Cross and uh, she is earthy, she's very earthy. She also joins uh, the Carmelite Order. Um, she has difficult experience. She had a life of suffering. Her mom suffered a lot. She suffered a lot and it was in her suffering that she experienced to God and in fact it was in her suffering that she really learned how to pray. Now how many of you have gone through difficult times and through that you've learned to pray in a deeper way? And you've ever prayed before? Yeah. Absolutely. So Teresa writes a number of books. uh, Well, not too many, but she writes The Interior Castle, which is a book on on, on prayer. She's very honest. I have a quote there. You can read the quote later on. Um, But her point is this, is um, is that our hearts are made... Our souls are complex, so they are made to go deeper and deeper into God. Our souls are a series of mansions, that's what she calls the interior castle, that lead us towards the center where God exists. And the journey is taken through prayer. And so she teaches us how to pray. And for Teresa, it's God who's always calling us. And that's the thing. When you're feeling dry in your spiritual life, when you're feeling frustrated, and I always say this to people because people say, where's God? God's so far away. I'm so frustrated. I want to know him in a deeper way. I pray, but he doesn't seem there. He doesn't seem to be there. And I say, you know what? That desire, that desire that God would be there. Where does that desire come from? If there's no whole if, if you if you are not alive to jesus you would not give a rip about whether or not your heart is alive or dead to god you wouldn't care but because you're frustrated and you're longing to have a deeper walk with him where does that come from could that not be the holy spirit inviting you deeper into your walk with god and so the frustration that you have in the christian life is actually a gift from god to draw you deeper and you and that's why these people they 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 offer us something they really do because i in evangelicalism and i am an evangelical i'm a card-carrying evangelical i'm okay with that Um, the problem with evangelicalism is that sometimes when things go wrong we don't have a theology to deal with that or when things go dry, we're like, well, what's wrong with me? God seems so far away. There must be something wrong with me. I need to pray more. I need to do this more. I need to do this more. Still dry. I quit. No, no. These people, they, they invite us into this much deeper and wider experience of God. And to say, okay, you know what? Even that dryness could be given to us as a gift from God. And for me, that helps. And that's why I... i i I teach this stuff quite a bit because i see a lot of people who are so close to walking away from their faith i'm like why jesus is calling you through this frustration let me just pause for a moment any comments or questions Does any, does it resonate or you're like, I haven't been tracking with you for the last 15 minutes. I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> I heard something about This is about mysticism and then no idea. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So the question is, is that part of our society and the lack of patience now? I should, well, I will say it. there's a tradition in the church that says, you know, you know and, and you, where you just pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit and God will fill you up and you'll be empowered for mission and glory and, and God pours out His Spirit and you surrender more and you go and you live and, and, and there's something to that, I'm not denying that but sometimes what we miss is the fact that the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long journey. And there's times of dryness, and there's times of refreshing, but it's a journey. But this idea that we can somehow have a shortcut, this empower, you know, fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit that will help me as the way to get me from here to here faster. Well, maybe God doesn't want you to go from here to here faster. Maybe he's, 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 he's concerned about the journey. And I think we live in a culture that wants things right away. And sometimes we apply that to the spiritual life. Yeah, very good. And um, that was, I just finished reading that on, uh, in Screwtape Letters uh, about the undulations in our life. The ups and downs of the Christian life that C.S. Lewis talks about. Yeah, very good. Yeah. What mean to lean into that season? Oh, good. So, what does it mean to lean into that season? Well, it means not to be in a hurry to get out of it. Sometimes, because again, and I think it goes, a culture that prides or no, a, a culture that values comfort does not like feeling uncomfortable. But here's the thing: if you know that this feeling of dryness is actually a common christian experience and that god is not absent but he may be using this to draw you deeper that gives you patience and so to lean in means to actually um, not rush through it to ask some of those deeper questions god what are you doing rather than get me out of this but it also means having a friend on the journey to walk with you in the midst of that and that's really important. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. What about when you're not in that season? How can you then, like, almost compare your heart? Yeah, that's the thing. If you're if you're in a, a great season and it's like, what are you talking about? Jesus is this close and it's great. You just count your blessings. Uh, and, 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 and you, yeah, you don't want to be like, okay, I know this is going to end next week. I know it's coming, it's coming. I just know. No, just enjoy it while you have it and recognize that this is part of the Christian life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see how, uh, how you could do that though, yeah. Peter, what can you shared just a couple of minutes earlier, it comes very profound in that. You said it was people almost, just a virgin wanting to walk away, you could walk away from the faith say, well, where is God? Yeah. A lot of people are like that. They want to walk away from their faith. I don't get that. I mean, I understand what you're saying, but I don't get that from the standpoint of where's God? He's here. And I go back to Pascal, I think, who was the one that said, We all have that God shaped document that only Jesus can fill. Yeah. I think, you know, we live in a world, though, where, and I get it, like, if, if um, you pray for someone who has cancer, someone you love, and 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 they're not healed or 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 something horrific or suffering i i get it i totally get it um why people would would get frustrated um but i always come back to the disciples when uh jesus says to them he goes are you going to leave me too and they're like where are we going to go you have the words of eternal life we believe in and come to know that you are the holy one of god there's nowhere we can go and so i'd rather just say learn from the psalms and yell at god there's no sense that God you're good and I love you. He knows you're hard. he knows you're really mad, so be mad at him. That's okay. He can deal with it. Best be honest with him, right? And I think that's also our, our journey through, right? Yeah. The importance of prayer, whether we like it or not, yeah, that's that's important. And to be honest in our prayers. Like on, I've shared this before. There's many times I pray and I just say, God, you feel really far away and I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling. But I'm going to trust that you're here. So here we go. All right. But you may as well be honest because there's no sense saying, oh, Lord, it's the glorious day when he knows your heart. All right? So one of the things, and I have this in your notes. Um, we'll, we'll look at a few of them. There's a lot of paradoxes of the Christian life. And in our Western world, we don't like paradoxes. We like just things to be explained. But there's what are some things? That, and this shows up in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in Christian mysticism. That we seek God. We pursue God. But we couldn't do that unless we were found by him. So God is always on the front foot. So there is this intentionality we want to pursue God. But we also need to do that with our open hands, knowing that... God is always the one who is on the front foot, and he is the one who's drawing us to himself. The image I like of the the Christian life, can I give you an image? The image I like is the image of floating in the water, in the current. Now, have you ever gone down to Coquitlam River and tried floating in the Coquitlam River? Not now, I wouldn't suggest that because it might be a little dangerous. so okay how many of you know how to swim yeah how many of you know how to float okay now if you go to float and you make no effort whatsoever what will happen you'll probably sink if you if you put a lot of effort into floating i will float what will happen you will sink so there's this middle point of kind of trusting the water to hold you up and kind of being intentional because you are floating but you're not trying too hard and it's in that middle point that you actually float and i think that's a great picture of the christian life it's like when we try too hard it's not we're we're in trouble and yet if we say well i'm not going to do anything that doesn't help either and so there is we have to be intentional but allow god to do most of the heavy work he's a river and the other thing he's also the current and he'll guide us where we need to go so there's an intentionality it's not a perfect uh, picture but i, I kind of like that one of, of floating so there's paradoxes of the christian life god is imminent so he's present with us but he's also transcendent our experience um, with god can be catalytic and life-changing but often it's the little things that bring about change in our life maybe a a goofy lecture like tonight will bring a have a butterfly effect in your life and bring change god is one he is three christ is fully human god is fully divine do you remember in the some of you are a little bit older do you remember in the 90s there was a song called what if god was one of us what if God was one of us? And I always like—he uh, did become mad. <laughs> like, do, have you not read Scripture? But uh, maybe she hadn't. Um, we live by faith. We also live by truth. So I think one of the keys in all of this, when we're talking about the mystical life, is prayer. Prayer is really important. I can see you guys been talking about that yes to float i fell on the frigid san francisco bay there's a whole story there that's very good yeah mike you sink really well you're always been a very good sinker um oh, sorry so we pray we pray yes we pray wholeheartedly this is what julian once wrote julian norwich I po- pray wholeheartedly though you may feel nothing Though you see nothing, yes, though you think that you could not, for in dryness and barrenness, in sickness and in weakness, then is your prayer most pleasing to me. Though you think it is almost tasteless to you, and so is all your living prayer my sight. But it is alive to me, you know, Is God wants us to bring our prayers as we are to him. Now one last thing I'll share before we wrap up tonight, and uh, that is the importance of having a soul friend not s-o-l-e but s-o-u-l having a soul friend who can help you listen to your life part of our challenge is to listen to our life and we need to listen because we need to recognize that god is much more active in and around us than we realize And we could go all week long and think, huh, well, that was, you know, God would seem very far away. But if you have a soul friend, you can have a soul friend say to you, hey, have you considered this? You know that desire or, you know, that frustration you're feeling? What if God is inviting you into something? Huh, you know that conversation you had that, that you thought went so bad? What if this is actually what God is doing in your life at this time? Because I noticed that he also did this before. And so if you have someone, and I always say this, have someone who loves you, who knows you but is not impressed with you, right, you gotta have someone who's gonna be honest and will tell you the tough stuff, it's like, you know what? Stop being a baby, you know, you you need somebody to get into your face. A soul friend is really important. Someone who can help you pay attention to what God is doing in and around you. I've shared this before, but I, for 13 years I've been seeing a spiritual director. Uh, he lives out in Abbotsford, a former uh, salesman, he's, he's not a monk or anything like that, I think he, he sold pharmaceuticals or something like that, I forget what it, what it was, this is Steve, you know him, uh, I Steve Imbach, do you know who he is, you may have heard of him, um, yeah, so Steve has been my uh, spiritual director for 13 years, and so I see him about once a month. I'll see him this week. And he just asks me questions about my life. And he'll ask me about what God is doing in my life. And he asks really interesting questions. Um, And he never gives me advice, which bugs me because I wish he would give me advice. He doesn't ever give me advice. He just asks really good questions. But by the end, he's helped me listen And see that God has been much more active in this past month in my life in ways that I hadn't thought about before. And so you need people like this in your life. If you try to do it alone, you're you're, you're, you're in in a lot of trouble. You don't have to go see a spiritual director, but just someone who knows you and who's willing to talk to you about the life of the Spirit. Because we're all pilgrims, right? We're all pilgrims on a journey. And our journey is we will we will know as we are known and we will see his face that's what revelation teaches us and so the mystics i think actually can help us yes they're a little bit quirky yeah they spend a lot too much time in their cells alone being beaten up by monks i don't know Um, they are quirky but i there's something about their experience that resonates with me because I long for that same deep intimacy with God in my life and so I think they can offer us something. Thanks for participating in this class. If you've been engaging in classes online but you're not a part of a church community we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.